This is Coda Radio, episode 74, for November 4th, 2013. Everyone, you're listening to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our three fantastic sponsors, GoDaddy.com, Ting.com, and DigitalOcean. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host from the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Oh, boy. It's the Michael. I like your Mickey Mouse, man. It's been a while since you brought it back. I know. He's been he's been on hiatus. Takes me back. It takes me back to the good old days yeah. of like 10 weeks ago. <laughs> yes, those were the days. You know, I, I think uh, it's funny. I already feel like a combative episode is ahead of us because this week's preempt, or uh, of course, we can always take a suggestion from our chat room, but the preliminary title is Justifying Java. So it sounds like we're already in battle mode over here. Uh, and then, additionally, there's been some gadget releases we're going to talk about. Some dev hoopla, including emos. Um, I don't know what that's about. No, oh, emus. Oh, I read emos. Um, so I'm thinking we're going to have a pretty good episode today. What if they were emo emus? That would be... Actually, think about it. Don't emus seem kind of emo? Yes. And we also have a, a fourth sponsor of the show. Of course, an unpaid sponsor. So I love and hate them. Uh, the Traveling Beer Company. Uh, we are sampling their Jacko Traveler Shandy today. Ooh, really? I... They're, they're, they're pitching this as uh, it's so it's very beautiful orange bottle with kind of a, a Halloween jack-o'-lantern thing going on here. Uh, ale brewed with lemon peel with natural flavors and pumpkin. Oh, you know what? I had myself a pumpkin beer just the other day. I got a uh, like a variety fall pack from Costco. I'm not normally a pumpkin beer kind of guy. No, but no. All, all I had. So it's it is as I get to be a a an older man, not an old man, just you know, a, a bearded guardian. Yes, yes. I I find that I when I see the, the the seasonal beer cases in Costco, to me, it's kind of like the changing of the season. So I always get one because it's like I the leaves are changing, right? The the, the fall beers in Costco. <laughs> Okay, so so when, when Oktoberfest from Sam Adam comes out, I gain about ten pounds. Yeah, there is that. Uh, there is definitely that aspect to it. It is. It can put it on fast. Now, have we ever had a? Have we ever talked about, um, like the whole concept of drinking and developing at the same time? Drinking and coding. I don't know if we can recommend that, but I, we, we we did mention it. I I think we called it the Balmer Peak. <laughs> I think we mentioned it briefly in one of the uh, okay. opening shows. That that would be a whole topic because I have been known to... Uh... I th- Well, this is what I was going to suggest. Before we get to the feedback, maybe we could solicit some feedback for next week's episode. So go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and click contact. Have you have you ever coded and drank? And I'll tell you, I'm not, I'm not uh, recommending underage drink or anything like that, but uh, I think, you know, in my younger years, probably my mid-20s, um, I found... When doing usability testing, because I was doing a whole spat of usability testing, I'm not even kidding. I found that if I had a few beers, it was uh, easier to uh, do some some real basic usability testing. And I'm wondering if anybody else has ever had that experience. So email us, or if you've ever done any coding and drinking, uh, go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and pop, pop that contact link. Maybe that'll I be a fun uh, one. 
I can assure you that I have never taken no. two parts Grey Goose vodka, one lemon peel, one part vermouth with one part gin, <laughs> thrown it in a shaker with ice, shaken it, not stirred it, put it in a, a chilled martini glass and done a night of coating. I can assure you that that has happened a lot. Wait. I don't believe you. Inappropriate? <laughs> yeah, and you know what else? Uh, I think that would be probably when you take to the Twitter, too. That's where you have to cut yourself off, right? Because you don't want oh, to take no, to the Twitter. Oh, no, that's when I start on Twitter. Baby. Oh, okay. Well, then be careful. Then be careful. Don't do what I do and go into the chat room and yell at everybody. No, I don't So really I do actually that. go, let's see, at canonical. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you tease. Hey, look, uh, we got some great feedback to get into this week. And uh, before we do that, I want to thank our first sponsor this week, and that is one of our longtime sponsors, GoDaddy, and they've got a great deal. Now, here's why I love it, because I'm a pretty busy guy, and not only am I a busy guy, and I, I also get a lot of people that come to me, especially family and friends, who say, Chris, I'd like to do a website. My mom actually constantly wants to launch different websites for her church and for some projects that she's working on. She's an artiste. And this is really what I'm recommending to not only myself, because I don't have time to to uh, make it look as good as I should. I don't have time to focus on the SEO. And then once I get it up and running for like, you know, even a month or two, there's already going to be an update for my for my CMS. There's probably a back end update for my for my web server. I don't have time for that stuff. And Google's probably got a new SEO approach. I don't have time to go optimize my site every couple of months. That's why I'm recommending GoDaddy's new website builder. Now, it's brand new, revamped, and they've got a really a lot of really cool stuff in it. Now, of course... GoDaddy sponsors the Coda Radio program, and their website builder makes it easy to create your own website. Put your business online and find new customers. Choose from hundreds of customizable designs, and you're on your way. Website builder even includes a free domain, hosting, and 24-7 support. So think about that. This is great for if you're recommending it to somebody. And GoDaddy's doing a really awesome integration of the hosting and the top-end system. They automatically can generate mobile sites that look great on Android and iOS, but it's even better. It's right now is the time to go. It's go time over at GoDaddy. So go to GoDaddy.com and enter the promo code WSB8, Website Builder 8, WSB8, to get a website builder for only $1 per month. Now, there are some limitations that apply because this is a really great deal with the hosting and the support and the website builder for $1 a month for a year. So there are some limitations. You can find those over on the website, but go over to GoDaddy.com and use the promo code WSB8 and check out their brand new website builder. Boy, that's awesome. It's really cool. And they've got, go over there and look at the features. They're going to really surprise you with you're doing this thing. I think it's really awesome. It's definitely go time. So thanks to GoDaddy for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. All right, Mr. Dominic, should we get into some of our email? The uh, email sack, as it were. And, you know, our first one came from uh, Brandon, and he's going back on that topic we touched on where we had this younger developer who was considering taking a job at IBM and working with, um, I don't want to say like, old, but hey, okay, ancient. Okay, ancient works too. All right. So uh, Brandon writes, he says, hi, guys. Well, hi, Brandon. I'm writing you with some feedback about the discussions you had concerning the 23-year-old working for IBM on an old mainframe language. Oh, okay. he calls it old too. I'm still a young guy, but I've got a few years on that viewer. I'm 29, but I spent about four years right out of college working on various old school mainframe languages. Oh, this is perfect. He says, although most younger guys tend to laugh about them, mainframes are here to stay for a long time still, and companies are paying younger guys quite well to work with them. I will totally back that up. Uh, he says, I'm actually, I actually started out of college with COBOL, Assembler, and JCL, making more money than my college buddies who were working with Java and .NET. Ouch! He says, then, when I was 27, I took a job doing mainly database-related work, 
Companies often were impressed that you could switch between such different languages and process results. I've actually given some serious thought into going back to the mainframe-related work for the past few months, though. I've been, contract- I've been contacted several times about it out of the blue, and the offers are pretty good. Obviously, you would need to stay current just in case, which is something you should do in IT no matter what you're working on. And I myself tend to keep up to date by working on open source projects. Not really in the capacity of a mainline developer for a project, but I usually try to find and fix some bugs. Uh, gives you a lot of chance to get into the code and understand how things are working without spending 40 hours a week writing code if you don't want to. Thanks, Brandon. Well, that's great insight, Brandon. And I will back I will back it up. Um, so everybody knows that listens to our programs for a while. I worked for a bank for a long time. And uh, they had a mainframe there. And the guys that – there was nobody that worked on the mainframe that was under the age of 50. And there was a team of three or four. And as I was leaving, two of them, a guy and a gal who had been there – um, for 30 years, were retiring. And they were really kind of scrambling, trying to figure out who can we trust, who can we hire that has experience with these systems. And, you know, for them, it's it's everything from not just the mainframe, but understanding the business application that runs on top of that mainframe and how do you extend that. Because the developer no longer extends that, but they've, they've bought the source code. So they need somebody who can continue to add features on this platform that is literally controlled by an OS2 486 computer oh. that then drives the mainframe, right? I mean, so massive limitations these people have. Yeah. And it's a touch type terminal that's hardwired to the mainframe the guy has to code from. I mean, this is how, this is, you know, back in the day, right? That's old school, yeah. Yeah, and it's still in use today. And uh, so it, it, it he, Brandon totally nails it. There, it, There is potentially a, a premium developing there, but it's going to be really limited. Because honestly, so many people are transitioning over to, to Linux and, and Unix for this stuff. Yeah. All right. Did you have any thoughts on yeah. that? No, I, I think Brandon's advice is great, and it's kind of in line with what we were discussing. There's really no reason to not take the job, assuming the pay is right and everything, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, well, Halifax writes in, and uh, he says, Hey, guys, long-time listener and regular contributor to the subreddits. Well, thank you, sir. He says, Love all the JB stuff. Last quarter radio, text snap, unfilter, and faux show are my sauce. <laughs> right on, man. Anyways, uh, I was wondering if Michael had tried Red Hat's OpenShift service for Git-based app deployment in the same vein as Heroku. I recently shifted, har har, to open to Red Hat's offering from AppFrog when I finally reached my breaking point with AppFrog's problematic in- administration and customer service, and I've been very happy with the product so far. I'm only using three free gears that they provide you with, but the pricing structure for their paid service seems favorable when you compare it with Heroku. It also automatically scales your applications within boundaries you define in order to reduce waste and save you some cash in the process. To boot, is brought to you by the respected name in both Linux and enterprise communities, which is initially what got my attention. Keep on kicking and take names for all the JB folks. And he gives a shout out to all of the hosts. Uh, and he says, without alternative content you provide, I would be forced to position my brain, to poison my brain with shovel loads of crap they feed you in mainstream media to listen to dry podcasts. I would have to fight to stay awake in order to listen and comprehend. I would put in my money where my mouth as soon as I can manage and pledge monthly support to you and your efforts. Well, thanks, Halifax. So, have you heard of uh, have you heard of Red Hat's OpenShift? Yes, actually. And I had taken a look at it. And to be honest, it was uh, it was almost the solution I ended up going with. It oh, was, really? It was pretty close. We didn't talk about it much, much on the show. Um, it so first of all, his point about Heroku being expensive. Yeah, Heroku is pretty expensive. Um, there were a few reasons I didn't pick it, none of them terribly important, um, at least for what you're doing, Halifax. Really, the main thing was I wanted a little more control over what I was doing. 
Uh, and this is kind of a Heroku replacement, right? Right. But certainly, if you're looking for that kind of scenario, that kind of service, uh, OpenShift is worth a look. Yeah, like you said, it's backed yeah. by Red Hat. That's always good. Yeah. Just don't tell Uncle Mark that you're looking at it, because... Ouch. Whoa. Nice. Well, maybe it'll support Mirror in the future. Um, oh, yeah. All right. So, uh, you had a note in here to give a little love to the Docker project. What? Yes. Uh, so, the Coder Radio and Jupiter Broadcasting folks, in a very general way, love Docker. <laughs> well, I love uh, Docker, so good. I have to add my name to the Docker-loving party. Docker's great. It really is good. Uh, and I definitely appreciate all the emails from people writing in you know, with suggestions on how to optimize our Docker installs, Chris. Really, a lot of, a lot of enthusiasm surrounding this tool. Well, that's cool. Which, which we don't normally see. Yeah, well, I, you know, Docker is big for developers, it's big for sysadmins, and it's big for hosting companies. It's like a whole... I think that, yeah, I think that's why it really struck a nerve with the JB folks. I, I get the sense that a lot, a lot of you guys are actually sysadmins. Um, sorry, Bjorsev. That's all right. We allow beer. But yeah, I mean, we'll talk about this a little more uh, in a few minutes, but I'm very pleased with my current Docker setup. Yeah, so, you know, uh, to give the sysadmin perspective on it, um, I, I am considering deploying... Um, I'm, right now, I'm debating between virtualization and Docker for, for the Jupyter Broadcasting backend services that I need to move back home, like email, calendar, um, and maybe move my messaging over. And I, I've been considering going with Arch on the host system which would be very fresh very current rolling and then use then using docker containers to spin up an ubuntu 1204 container and put maybe something like zimbra inside that right so zimbra lives in this safe slow moving safe zone and then the underlying things like plex and ffmpeg and um anything else it might need like subsonic would would constantly be getting updated. But the thing that I needed just to be rock solid, my email, could still live on that same server without all of the virtualization software needed. I wouldn't need any of that. But just living in this container, just taking, just processes running, just like regular applications, regular processes running on a server. Uh, and for, so for me, that's hugely compelling because it sort of eliminates this, this problem I used to have in Linux where I can go stable and solid or I can go really current and fresh and get all the new toys, right? It it neutralizes this this problem that used to be there. And on the server side, it allows me to sort of have a more flexible and dynamic server that still also has the reliability of a long-term support where I need it. Mm, yes. Pretty excited about it. Um, all right, Mr. Dominic. Well, thank you to uh, Halifax and Brandon for writing in. You can contact the show by going over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and clicking that contact link. Speaking of Docker, should we stop and thank our second sponsor this week? Yes. Let's do it. It is. And and with a triumphant welcome, DigitalOcean, based on popular demand, I might add, recent popular demand, too, DigitalOcean is sponsoring the Coda Radio program. Let me tell you a little bit about DigitalOcean if you're not familiar. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Now, get ready for this. Users can create a cloud server in less than 55 seconds. Well, about 55. You know, give yourself 60 seconds, but I bet you could do it in 55 seconds. And the pricing plans start at only $5 per month for 512 megabytes of RAM, 20 gigs of SSD storage, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. Yeah, that's $5. Now, get ready for this, too, because it's going to get even better. We have a promo code that you can use. It's Coder, Coder Radio 74, episode 74. Coder Radio 74 You'll get a $10 uh, credit 
And if they're charging you $5 a month and they're giving you a $10 credit. Now, I know you guys are developers. You can do the math. That means two months free of DigitalOcean hosting. Now, that's incredible. They've got all kinds of great plans. They've got all kinds of great flexibility. But if you're also somebody who wants to contribute to a community, maybe you have uh, perspectives on on uh, WordPress installations and things like this, you have a unique opportunity with DigitalOcean because they have a tutorial section that they allow community contributions for. And they actually pay you $50 per published article. We'll have a link in the show notes if you think you might want to contribute to the DigitalOcean Digital community and give them something that you think people will find of value. DigitalOcean will give you some value for that. I think that's a great program. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. That's a great way to sort of encourage really high-quality community contributions, things that other DigitalOcean customers will obviously find beneficial to them. So that's a win-win. So again, use the code... Code Radio 74 you'll get a $10 credit. You can go over there and check them out. Now, Mr. Dominic, I know you're a DigitalOcean user for lots of different things. I am, and I, I'm just trying to see if I can retroactively put in the Code Radio 74 <laughs> code. <laughs> I want my $10. Oh, man. Well, So uh, tell me what you like about it. Okay, so we, I don't want to turn this into a three-hour commercial, but I just want to take a quick walkthrough if I can. Yeah, do it. I mean, uh, you so really I'll, love this, so take as much yeah, time as you want. I, I, I'm really into this. Uh, so I'm in my panel right now. It's cloud.digitalocean.com slash droplets, right? They call each instance a droplet, which is cute when you think about their name as ocean, right? A yeah. drop in the ocean, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. You hit the create button, big and green. So the UI is super simple. It's loading up my create options, asking me for a host name. So whatever I want to call this instance, right? I have a number of sizes starting at $5 a month or 0.007 cents an hour, which that's really cool if you're um, just doing a quick test deployment yeah. and are pulling something down, which Our- I do a lot of. Hourly cloud st- cloud services yep. with with SSD storage, so you know it's super fast. I mean, you can start at, you can start at ridiculously low prices. This is really cool. For, for our European friends, you can host it in Amsterdam if you like. Yeah. The other options are New York and San Francisco. Very cool. But really gets me going is, you know, so you select your size, select your region, whatever. You don't need to select your image, right? Now, I have a couple tabs here. I have um, four tabs. I'm sorry, I have five tabs. First one is Linux distros. You have Ubuntu, CentOS, Debian, Arch, Chris, Arch. That is awesome. And Fedora. I cannot I believe they have Arch. I, I'm, I'm going to get an Arch, Arch server. Oh, I know you would. Uh, <laughs> you definitely would. But let's say I'm a little little lazy, right? I can go to the next tab, Applications. Lamp on Ubuntu 12.04. Ghost on Ubuntu. Rails on Ubuntu. Docker on Ubuntu 13.04. Oh, hey-oh, hey-oh. Reset up, maybe. And they have ones for Redmine and ones for WordPress as well. My images. Now, this is the killer feature for me. You do a custom image, which we did, and you upload it. And you just keep spinning off of that image. Nice. So you don't have to constantly spin up a server. And, you know, sure, you could have your script to set things up. But why bother? You do it once you set up the image. There you go. They allow for backups. So you can back up a server and restore to it. And you can even go, uh, if you just destroy a droplet, so delete it, you can actually, I don't know exactly how this works, but for a period of time, create a new droplet off the destroyed one. So, yeah. That is that is super nice. That is, you know, and I was I was looking at some screenshots they have here of their uh, developer, or I guess just the control panel they call it. Uh, it looks really clean, really nice. 
that's that I love it. I love when they say you can get it, you can get it deployed in 55 seconds. I can see why. I mean, especially like with they have an image right there of Ubuntu 1204 with lamp, click this, you're good to go. What do you want your host name to be? Okay, it's up. It's running. And yeah, it's it's a very clean system. Um I mean, we're using it for, for obviously with Docker. Um because I'm a little curmudgeon-y, I actually just went with a straight Ubuntu uh instance and did the in Docker install myself. Yeah. But we also then went back and did the prefab Docker install, and it works just fine. There's no reason to not do it. So with that, I mean, so the, so again, with Docker, what we were just talking about, you could create a container there on your laptop and then send it up to the DigitalOcean server and run it. I mean, so it allows you to, like, work offline, You and, and when you snapshot that and move that Docker container, everything, all the state, everything is the same when you deploy it on a completely different server up in the cloud, and then you can test it up, up on, on really some excellently fast SSD hard drives. I mean, that is, I love the fact that it's yeah. also super fast IO, which is big for me. Uh, that is a really nice combo. And you see, this is a great way. This shows you how DigitalOcean is really kind of following the cutting edge because Docker is great stuff. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to revolutionize this kind of stuff. And DigitalOcean is there to take advantage of it. I think that's fantastic. So well, One of the things we're doing is actually, you know, the low-cost solution with DigitalOcean with the high disk IO. We're actually using Docker in conjunction with that project we talked about last week, Dooku. And we're creating our own little, very low-cost, private Heroku. Beautiful. Beautiful, that you control, that you know the state of, and you can manage the cost of. Exactly. We're getting all the advantages of the VPS without giving up that Git deployment and that easy, uh, you know, Git-based branch scenario that we like so much. Whoa, whoa there. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa Well, and I also, I think think Linux enthusiasts will uh, appreciate the fact that it's based on KVM Mm -hmm. and a lot of other really great... Linux technology. So don't forget, go to digitalocean.com. We'll also have a link in our show notes and use the promo code CODARADIO74 to get a $10 credit. So you can try it out for two months on your own for absolutely free. And also, if you want to contribute to their community, check out the link for that. You might get yourself 50 bucks if you get published. So a big thank you to DigitalOcean. Welcome aboard the Coda Radio program. You guys go thank them for supporting the show and check them out and see what you can do. And if you build something neat, send it our way. We'd like to check it out. Okay, Mr. Dominic. So, I got a few things I want to talk about. Um, I bought something over the weekend specifically so I could talk about it on this show. I mean, I was probably going to buy it anyways because I've been talking about it. But I specifically went out Friday after the faux show and bought myself something. And then the same day, the Nexus 5 came out. So, what do you want to start with? Ooh, I don't know. What did you buy, Chris? I bought the iPad Air. We got a lot of negative feedback about the iPad Air. But see, I was down an iPad. I had spilled coffee on it. Um, and I thought I was going to go get one and see what the hoopla was about. Right, right, sure. So I got that. I have thoughts on that. And I know you have thoughts on that. And I know our audience has thoughts on that. But then also Google announced the Nexus 5 running KitKat. Um, looks like a pretty good device with a few with a few caveats. So what do you think? Where should we start? Let's start with your purchase. Let's start with the iPad Air. All right. So uh, did you get a sense of the feedback? So a lot of people wrote in. You summarize it as, Everyone hates the iPad Air. <laughs> did you mean like all of our audience or did you mean just the industry in general? No, I mean, oh, the industry loves it. I, I, I mean, our audience, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was Why? pretty overwhelmingly negative. I don't, I mean. He's a jackass. I think there's always the percentage of the audience that hates it because it's Apple. Oh, that's true, yeah. 
But I also feel like you and I are coming at this. We actually didn't have the last iPad, right? We yeah. both skipped a generation. Yeah, I mean, I could totally see you being ho-hum about it if you've recently bought a tablet. Right. So for me, looking at, in particular, I mean, I, I haven't had one in my hands yet. Mine is coming today. But just looking at the specs, in particular, the weight compared to the iPad 3, which is what I think we both have. Yeah. That is enough to warrant the upgrade for me. Right, same here. Well, and the A7. I mean, the the iPad 3 is kind of a dog. Yeah, I haven't even had those performance issues. I, I For me, it's just... Although, to be fair, I, I basically use the Kindle app on my iPad. So I, I, you know, once iOS 7 went on the iPad 3, I really felt like I needed a new iPad. I felt like I could see fr- the frames go, you know, lower than they should, like when the windows were swooshing in and yeah. out. Um, every now and then searching the App Store felt like I was actually, like, driving down to California to put in my request. It was so slow. <laughs> um, and then, of course, I spilled coffee on an older iPad, so I was already down a tablet. I kind of, my look at it is like this. So what, here's a couple. Here's a here's an interesting thing about the iPad Air. It is the iPad Mini with a bigger screen. Uh, literally, the internals are closer to the iPad Mini than they are to any previous iPad generation. Apple took a lot of what they learned making the Mini and made the Air. Also, I agree with uh, some of the people who say that the reason they dropped the numbering from the iPad is because they were planning to do the iPad Air a couple of years ago. I think that's true. And I think in terms of tablets, go if for the four by if you want if you want a four by three aspect ratio. Um, I think it's probably, I, I don't know. I think it's probably the best tablet on the market. And now it doesn't blow my socks off, but it's a tablet. You know, <laughs> after the first one, they kind of stopped blowing my socks off. I'll be honest with you. That kind of ended on the, with the iPad one. <laughs> so I, I think it's actually a pretty great upgrade. And the A7 processor is clocked a little faster in here than it is in the iPhone 5S. So if you want the A7 and you don't want to buy an iPhone, you get a faster A7 in the iPad. I threw, uh, um, what did I throw on here? Uh, the the new uh, oh yeah the the Batman uh, Arkham um, game runs great. I, I threw a bunch of games on here. They run great. They look amazing. The graphics are incredible. Now, did you go white or black? I went black. I went white. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I I um, you know, I I considered going white, but the reason I went black is uh, my Instapaper and Kindle screens and my reader screens are usually dark, and so I thought maybe having a I'd prefer to have a dark border around it because I do primarily use the iPad for reading. You know, yeah, I ordered the white and almost instantly regretted it, but it was one of those things where... So what do you think of all the hate? What's your response to it? Because you were kind of, you were kind of, hmm, ho-hum about it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a huge upgrade. I mean, even for us, it's not a huge upgrade, right? Yeah. I mean, the biggest feature I'm looking forward to is it's not super heavy. Right. Right. The iPad 3 is pretty heavy. Pretty, pretty beefy. That was their first Retina, and they put like a big old battery in there, too. I feel like it's a little more expensive than it ought to be, but yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah, I do. Uh, but I think the build quality is, is pretty good. And also, um, I, I don't know why the ACE, I think the a seven deserves more attention. Did you know also that this iPad has a smaller capacity battery than any previous iPad and yet the I battery life. That. Yeah. So I bought this on Friday and left the cellular on too. I, I haven't turned it. I turned it off just this morning. I have, it's not connected to anything, but it's on. I, I just got it cause I want GPS. Um, the, the battery's at 57%. Now it has been running with the screen on for about the last hour that we've been on the live stream because this is how I switch cameras is with the iPad. Um, and, and so I bought it on Friday and I haven't charged it yet. And it's at 57%. And I've been playing the hell out of it just to 
kick the tires and try out new games and stuff. So the fact that they lowered the battery capacity, obviously made it thinner, and put a screamingly faster processor in here, I, I just don't think the Android guys can can do that whole combo together. I really don't. I just don't see it. And now maybe, you know, I, now there's benefits, right? The Nexus 7 has a removable back. You can replace the battery. Um, but I gave away my Nexus 7. I was just underwhelmed. I didn't, I gave it to my grandpa for his, for his birthday. I just felt like it wasn't good enough. The build quality wasn't, was okay, but it wasn't amazing. And it had that problem when the battery got drained all the way down, which when you have two kids that play with tablets, that happens where it would do that crazy reboot cycle. And I just didn't want it. I didn't want to have to hassle with it. And on top of it, the apps, the apps are better for tablets on, on iPad. Um, there's, there's nothing like downcast for, uh, for Android tablets. And um, I love podcasts and downcast is really good. It's like a full fledged desktop app. It doesn't feel like a mobile app. And um, yeah, I mean, I I think it's a really solid device and um, I've been buying a ton of apps for it. And I think, you know, I'll probably settle down and I'll, I'll get back to using it for reading and camera switching. But for now it's pretty neat, pretty neat. I, I think, I think if you just bought the iPad four or if you just got yourself a Nexus or a Samsung tablet, there's really no reason to upgrade, right? I think it's kind of meh. But if you're on the iPad 2 or 3 or anything from that generation, either you know on the Android side or the Windows side, I think it's definitely worth considering. I, I give yeah, it a thumbs I, up. I think it's a pretty good device. I, um, I mean, I haven't seen it yet. Or I should say I've seen it. I haven't gotten mine yet, so... You know, I have a different level of expectations for my tablets, too. They're not as serious as, serious as for me as, like, you know, my work computer, so they, you know, they can kind of run more of a toy operating system. Um, it's not as, it, all those, all those considerations for me are not quite as big of a deal. Now, I think though, I still, I, I, I see, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to pick up the Nexus 5 if it hits Ting. Because I think, I think I'm, I think I'm leaning Android for the phone and iOS on the tablet. I think that's my current inclinations right now. And that, I think, leaves room for the, for the Android version to get better on the tablet and for them, for me to make the transition there. But, I think because my tablet is actually less of a serious computing device for me than my phone, it's more important to have the power and flexibility in the operating system in the phone than it is in the tablet. Do you jive with what I'm saying there? I do. I just feel the other way around. So for me, the tablets are the future of computing and that um, I want my tablet to be as powerful as possible. Wow. So you're a hater. I gotcha. All right. I'm a hater, yes. That's Okay. Uh, so, anyways, Nexus Five's out. I don't think I, I don't really have much other to say than that. Um, I, well, think, I love the Nexus Five. I mean, it's got universal LTE on all carriers except Verizon. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, that means it's probably going to come to Ting, and I'm happy about that. Yeah, that's good. So get it on Ting. Yeah. Um, and so, um, uh, also, looks like a pretty great price, right? Like three fifty from the Play Store, or something like that. Yeah. it's... You know what? The reason why that matters is getting 4.4 in the hands of, of users, it means developers can write better applications. And pricing it $350 uh, makes it, you know, more people are going to buy it. But isn't this a, I mean, you've come on this show before and you said, well, what Google's really doing is dumping. They're dumping with Android. Now, aren't they kind of dumping with high-end phone devices? How come this doesn't bother you? Because I don't think they sell many of these. <laughs> okay. uh, I, I think these are basically dev phones, right? And I have a sinking suspicion that these phones should cost about three fifty, four hundred dollars anyway. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, I think there's a lot of margin that is being. Uh, 
Well, and, and enjoyed. And there could be still some subsidies in that three fifty price. So we'll see what the actual unsubsidized price right, is. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I I agree. I think these are great for developers and enthusiasts, and they push that they push it forward. They make you know they make higher later versions of Android get out of the market a lot faster than if we just left it up to the to the other OEMs. So I'm I'm pro. I'm pro Nexus Five. All right, Mr. Dominic. Any other thoughts on the Nexus Five? No, I I really think it's uh, you know it's it's going in the right direction, right? Good job, Google. Right, that's what we're saying today. We have an episode where we're going to say, "Good job, Google." I think so. I, I, I mean, what's weird about the newer Android devices is there's nothing for me to complain about because they're all just good enough now. Yeah, yeah. It's still really when you get into low end Android devices where we have problems, right? Yeah, yeah. I agree. If you if you play in the higher end area, and really now, like anything anything on contract that's like two hundred bucks or more is probably good enough. And then if you go unlocked, anything yeah. that's about three fifty or more or four hundred or more is generally good enough. But it just kind of depends. So, um, all right. Well, our next topic is uh, getting into a little bit of a hoopla here, and yes. uh, let's uh, let's uh, prepare ourselves by uh, thanking our last sponsor this week and one of my favorite sponsors, and that is, of course, the great folks over at Ting.com. Now, Ting is mobile that makes sense. My mobile service provider. And uh, I've been loving it since about the beginning of the year or even, yeah, maybe December. I can't remember now. It's been, it's almost been a whole year with Ting and man, have I just been thrilled the entire time and just always great new stuff coming out too over at Ting. So what is Ting? Well, I said it's mobile that makes sense and it's probably what you should consider if you've been feeling like you're getting taken advantage of from your mobile carrier. Because we all know that the mobile carrier industry kind of just goes one direction, and that's in the direction that isn't pro-consumer. However, Ting is here to help weigh the counterbalances of justice from Ting.com. So start by going to coderadio.ting.com. That's where you're going to take $25 off your first month or $25 off your first device. Now, if you already have a device and you want to bring your own device, you're going to get a monthly credit. This is pretty nice. This is how I, this is how I dip my toe into Ting myself is I brought my Evo 4G over. And I was like, oh, let's just try this out. Let's just see how this how this Evo works on Ting. And it was great. I was thrilled. And then I bought my Note 2 shortly after. And then I moved my mom over to Ting. And then I got myself the HTC One because I love it so much. There's lots of great devices over at Ting, new and used. They even have some Windows devices, which stay tuned, Mr. Dominic. We'll be talking a little bit more about that. And they have the, they have the Moto X. And they also have the Note 2 and 3. They have a deal on the Note 2 right now, as well as, of course, the Samsung Galaxy S4 and a bunch of other great ones. And they're used devices. They have a whole range of devices. They also have a concierge service, and they have Glide services integration. And they even have a little reseller market right there from other Ting customers. So it's always worth checking that out. Now, what really makes Ting stand apart, no contract, no early termination fee, and you only pay for what you use. They break up your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes at the end of the month, and whatever bucket you fall into, that's what you pay from Ting. By the way, as part of the service, just like a freebie thrown in, you get your voicemail, picture and video messaging, three-way calling, caller ID, tethering, hotspot, even more. It's all great. And they have a really awesome dashboard that is super, super smooth. You log right in. You can even use uh, the uh, Mozilla Prism, or not Prism, what do they call that? Was uh, Persona, not Prism, that's the NSA. Uh, they have the Mozilla Persona where you can log into Ting with, with your Persona account. You get in this super clean dashboard, see exactly where you're at, set alerts for anything you might need. You can see where, why, where you're at in your billing cycle, how many days are left on your bill, puts it up in nice, big, bold letters for you to see. 
each device only six dollars and then you only pay for what you need after that so if you have a device you need for testing that you don't use a ton you can have it sit in your drawer one month and you're not going to get this huge bill for something you didn't use and if you're like me where your voice minutes are usually pretty low and then the holidays start creeping up and then you just it just ramps up. It's like it's like a logarithmic scale where it just goes up and up in my minute usage. Not a big deal because I only pay for what I use over at Ting. I don't have to worry about overages and things like that. It's pretty awesome. You can get started by going to coderadio.ting.com. Just take control of your mobile experience. Michael and I talk about the, the mobile computing platform all the time. It's, it's here to stay. It's a player and it's more relevant than pretty much any other technology that's come around in a long time. And they're all powered by the mobile services that we use. So it's important that you make an educated decision in what mobile service provider you choose because it's key to these new generation of devices. And I want to recommend Ting. So go over to coderadio.ting.com to get started. Try out their savings calculator to really seal the deal. And then right before you make that final switch, if you're like, oh, I got that early termination fee, not a problem. Ting has an emancipation program for you can get 25% up to 25% which is up to $75 off of an early termination fee for each device from your previous carrier. All you got to do is pick your Ting device, port your number, and then submit your claim. That's pretty awesome. So go to coderadio.ting.com. And thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. Dun, 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 dun. I, uh, I, I, I'm here to report, too, by the way. HTC One with Android 4.3 is a serious battery life contender. It is a serious contender. I'm very happy with that. Ah, are you still rocking your one? That's my Ting line as well, the HTC One. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. I, yeah. I mean, I'm probably I'll probably upgrade to the Nexus Five if Ting gets it, which I think they might. But you know, it's probably I think it's oh, going to be sure stock uh, t- stock constrained for a little while. I would figure, but uh, I I really like the HTC One. In fact, that was actually when the Nexus Five was announced. That's what I compared it against because I was like, well, I got a quad core, I got really nice speakers, I got LTE no, already, I've got a gorgeous screen. I was kind of like, right. I don't really need the Nexus Five except. And Nexus 5 has a slightly newer generation processor. And I was like, well, that is kind of nice. I don't know. I kind of like the One. Yeah, no, the One's a really, really fantastic device. But you know what phone I really like by HTC? What? The fine HTC 8X. Yeah, the 8X. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. So is that why you bought a Surface? I did what? I'm sorry. I, I noticed uh, that uh, you were on Google Plus this last week asking for Surface Pro apps. And... um. I don't know if you know this, but the Surface is made by Microsoft, and it runs Windows 8. I thought it was made by Canonical. I mean, it's a converging PC device. (laughs) Uh, Not quite converging yet, but... uh, So, you really did buy a Surface Pro 2? Yes. God, this people... The Linux Linux audience is going to think we've gone mad. So, why did you buy a Surface Pro 2? So, it comes in purple. I don't believe you. No, no, that's not why. Uh, so I may have a project, uh, oh my God, that is Windows based. Okay. All right. Okay. See, this is why I didn't want to jump on you at first because I was, I was like, well, if the man's going to make money off of it. Yeah, that's, that's what it's all about. Huh. So I'm sure, uh, let's say you've had it for how long? So you probably, you probably had it for like a week. You're probably a week now. Yeah. You're in the love phase still. You're still in the, oh, it's great. It's really not as bad as everybody says. It's built Uh, so well. So I wrote a review of it. Oh, yeah? And there was good, bad, and ugly, because that's for people who read my reviews, that's how I always structure it. It is a pretty great device, I'll have to say. <laughs> I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at the fact that they have this horrible, ugly dock for it. It's so, 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 so atrocious. Okay. 
Yeah, the dock is a terrible idea. Don't do the dock. <laughs> All right, so you actually thought you you got it, and you thought, "Holy crap, this is better than I expected." Yes, the issue I'm having with it is the issue you'll probably expect. There are very few good apps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that. Yes. Um, however, as a development machine, because remember we're talking about the Pro here, so we're we're, we're talking Visual Studio, Dropbox. We're talking. So this has online, this you know? has the Intel chip. Right, and I got the uh, one with 8 gigs of RAM, 256 storage. So you can run full-fledged, it's like a laptop. It is a laptop, right? Yeah. It, it, its specs are better than my MacBook Air, which is another dev machine I use. So this is basically my Windows dev machine, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And from that perspective, I'm happy to report that it's powerful enough to pretty much do everything I'm doing, right? Um, there are little things here and there. I mean, honestly, the biggest the keyboard's a lot better if you get the type keyboard. I feel like that should have been in the box. Like that's really the selling point of the Surface, right? Mm. That this, you know, because it's even an argument for the bad app store. You could say, well, this is not a toy, right? This is a work device. Well, and especially if you have the Intel version, right? Yeah, it's. I, I really do like it, Chris, and I feel weird saying it because so many people hate it. Yeah, um, I mean, I feel like what it is is the annoyances of Windows 8 and the and the lackluster app ecosystem, they all wear on you after a while. And then six months down the road, you realize, eh, I'm not really using it. That That's possible. I mean, the thing is, I'm using it primarily as a dev machine, right? Um, Why not just get a netbook or a Chromebook? Maybe not a Chromebook if you need like yeah, Visual well, Studio, but Visual, why not get yeah. why not get like one of those Acer like an Ultrabook? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. For like, because I see this thing's what nine hundred bucks, right? And you know, you you get you could get something that has a higher resolution screen that has a keyboard built into. Um, you could even load different operating systems on it if you wanted down the road for a different project. I mean, what's the advantage of this over that over an Ultrabook or something equivalent? So this happens to be the device I'm targeting for my project. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. So it, it well, you're not it, making also, a good case for it then. <laughs> no, I really like it. It's to be honest, if if that type cover came in the box, yeah, it's like what I another hundred bucks. So you're at you're right. you're at basically a thousand when you buy this thing. Well, no, I spent like fifteen hundred dollars because I. Have... Wow, I gotta say, yeah, I spent a lot. Yeah. How the hell is Microsoft going to sell to anybody but you? And I'm not even kidding. Like, It's tough. I mean, the impression I'm getting from, quote, sources is that, ironically enough, the expensive pro version is what's selling, not the cheap. Um, right. I mean, that's the only thing I could see that has a compelling use case for it. And maybe I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to be disparaging here, but I really don't know why I would well, buy let, this let me, over an let me, book. Let me paint you a picture, though, right? So I was in the Microsoft store purchasing this. They were out of type covers, but I could have bought any color touch cover, which is their stupid um, thin cover thing. Right. They were out of the model below the one I bought for the Pro, but I could have bought any model RT. So anecdotally, it it seems like... mm, I don't know, man. Um, The BlackBerry, like that was what BlackBerry sales were for years after touch devices were the, the ruler of the roost. The roost, whatever. Uh, it, like people, well, I want my BlackBerry because I want my keyboard, but that only sustained them well for about four or five years. 
All right. I mean, I'll be honest. I feel productive on the Surface Pro, not on the iPad, right? Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean, there is certainly a black hole of software on this platform. But you don't necessarily see it as an opportunity? I think all platforms are an opportunity in some way, right? It's just if committing resources to a platform is a big decision. Yeah, but we just had an episode where you're talking about, you know, betting more of the business on Linux. You could have right. gone Windows Surface apps. The, the issue is the people buying that seem to be buying the Surface are not buying them for personal use, right? These are being bought by IT departments and locked down. Business? Exactly. Yeah, it's people that are going to meetings, right? I mean, right. this to me seems like the perfect, I go to a lot of meetings device. Yeah, it is. I mean, and that's what I've honestly been using it for, right? The reason why I'm kind of the reason why I'm kind of bummed is I have a lot of friends that work at Microsoft and they also are like, you know, 30 minutes from my house. And right. I've been there quite a few times and it's it just seems like such a massive niche. Because the the advantage, I think the reason why iPads and Samsung tablets sell is because they're so there's no baggage. They're like my wife's mom and dad who are absolute technophobes like they have a they have like a digital camera and the only way they ever get the pictures off is when they put the memory card in the printer and hit print they don't import them like it all freaks them out and yet they both own ipads like they independently wanted to get them for themselves because it's there's no fear there's no baggage there's no nothing attached to it and i think that's why they're selling by the millions and you can and the thing is is that the ipad can still scale up with a logitech case which costs about as much as the microsoft keyboard you can still get a logitech keyboard for the ipad and now you have this device that also works so so this is my main criticism of it right is that the pitch of the surface is i'm not an ipad i'm not a toy right and the, the keyboard has to come in the box even if they just gave you the crappy touch keyboard which apparently some people know how to type on but i can't you know and that the type was still an upsell that's fine But when you get it in the box without the keyboard, it just feels like another tablet. And as a tablet, it certainly doesn't stand up to the iPad or the Nexus, right? Um, I mean, I would consider this... So when I recorded this, I recorded it as a laptop in the books, right? Interesting. Right. It's because you... If Chris knows what I'm talking about, right. If you... uh, Those of you who might be consultants, you have to record purchases for taxes. I didn't record this as a test device. Because in my mind, this is more of a laptop than anything else. This is your Windows laptop. This is my Windows laptop, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Without, but with, with a keyboard, it's detachable. So what you can, you right. can have it be a tablet, but it's primary use. But, case. I, but I never, I never use it without the keyboard. Right? The, That's the thing. Yeah, it kind of to me seems like um, the Metro UI is kind of like um, Media Center, where really the primary focus mm. should be the desktop. But you can go into this Media Center UI for the off-use cases where you're going to use it as something else other than a desktop PC. Like, see, Microsoft has taken with Windows 8, they've made, they, in this in this analogy, they've made Media Center the primary interface. But it sounds like you're using at least 50-50, 50% tablet, 50% laptop, maybe even more like 70% laptop. So I would say that's a false dichotomy. So I'm using a lot more Metro than desktop software 
because um, the only desktop app I'm really using is Visual Studio and Sublime Text, right? Okay. Well, I guess that's not fair because I'm also using Dropbox, like, PowerShell, Dropbox, stuff like that. Okay, so maybe maybe it's not true, but you know, I'm editing code in a Metro Text editor, right? Okay. I'm using Skype. Are you using stuff. SkyDrive and all that stuff too? Yeah, because they gave me 200 gigabytes of SkyDrive for free. Oh. Uh, I'm backing up. I have a uh, – this is kind of off topic, but I used to be a big fan of ripping my movies off of the DVDs for backups. Uh, and I have a uh, – what is it? A Seagate, one of those old like one terabyte drives. Sure. But I, I had like 100 gigs of old movies. I just uploaded them to SkyDrive. Really? So I, <laughs> well, they give you 200 gigs of storage for free. You get the surface. Awesome. And, that must yeah. have taken a little while. Yeah, I, I most of the weekend. Uh, <laughs> huh. So uh, where do you think, do you see, okay, so here's where I'm trying to get to. This is the angle I'm trying to go. Is to me, it seems like this really awkward adolescence that developers are faced with. Like, which adolescent platform do I throw in behind? And to me, I guess you can always change, but to me, it's like, God, if I just wanted to, if I wanted to carve out my niche and just be a massive expert and create an, you know, create the next Instagram type application or whatever it would be, I, I got to pick my horse. And I think this is where the, the, uh, the platform wars kind of originate from is like, I got to get in on this and I'm looking at this, Mike, and I'm saying, why would the Coda radio program say, yeah, this is the horse you want to ride. I just don't see it. Well, that's not what I'm saying, right? I'm not saying that this is going to beat Android. Um, I am saying that it's probably going to beat iOS, but that's a different discussion for a different day. Help! And pro- probably a different definition of victory. Are you going to say that after they announce how many iPads they've sold after just selling like a bajillion iPhones? Well, all right. We can have this conversation and we can say the other stuff. I, well, I, I feel no, like yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like we're repeating history. Right? All right. Well, no, let's – yeah, we don't have to tread over this. You're yeah, right. we don't have to yeah. go over it because yeah. it's – um, I think that the WinRT, the Windows 8 stuff, is going to have a thriving market of IT-based in-house software. Yeah. There is, but it's not going to be the sexy projects, right? Yeah, but that could be a good yeah. niche to carve out and make a ton of money on. Right, I mean, you can make a ton of money, but you're not, you know, your online portfolio is not going to, you know. Yeah, people may never, never have heard of you. Right. That's. But to be honest, those projects are sometimes. The best? More preferable. Yeah, yeah. I agree. <laughs> get, get the job done, get paid, no muss, no fuss. I mean, right. it's, sometimes it's, you know. Uh, and, and to be honest, we talked about this months ago. I like Windows 8. Like, I like the way it looks. I like I like Metro. I'm sorry. I like uh, whatever they call it. Modern UI. Yeah, yeah whatever. I, I also love the stylus that comes with it, which is weird. Go ahead, Chris. No, it's I'm, go ahead. I'm <laughs> listening. Oh, carry on. No, I'm good. So yeah, I mean, it's a weird thing to like, and I know it's not doing well, but I've gotten a lot of use out of it. And and Chris is right. Maybe in a month I won't use it anymore because you know maybe it'll be annoying that I can't find like an IRC client that doesn't suck, right? Um, one thing it doesn't have going for it is it's really hard to use it on your lap. It doesn't sit right. Hmm. That little stand doesn't work on the lap. Yeah. So. You know, Derwiz is in our chat room, previous sponsor of the show here, and he kind of has that where he's he focuses on enterprise grade software. He doesn't play right. the same game. So there's different requirements for different devices. So uh, I, you know, I think I think it's, I think it, it it'll serve fine for some people. I just don't know if it's enough of a market for Microsoft. That's all. I guess my point is. 
Well, that, so that's that's the big risk with this, though, right? Is will they, you know, will they pull a kin, right, and kill it because it didn't do well? Right. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if they can actually. I I don't think it's doing that badly. Yeah. Yeah. I think RT was doing badly, and I think RT probably still is doing badly. So, um, we got just a little bit of time left, and uh, I felt like you needed to kind of get some Java stuff off your chest. Yeah, so we were going to have a whole show about Java, but I'm glad we didn't because you know what? It's it'd probably be boring. Um, and apologies to Egon for, for today's show. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Egon. Uh, all right. So Chris, we've been getting a lot of feedback. A lot of people on Twitter who don't like Java, right? And have some sort of issue with Java. You kind of, you know, you've kind of picked up on this throughout the show. Is that there's definitely a more and more anti-Java momentum. It's just building. And and I think a lot of it is certainly, you know, a good portion of the JV audience are sysadmins, or even worse, amateur sysadmins. And, uh, you know, kind of like somebody wrote into TechSnap trolling uh, Alan about PHP. <laughs> what What's good for That's the sysadmin, yeah, yes, I'm sure he is. What's good for the sysadmin and what's good for the developer are often not the same thing, right? I think, too, though, I mean, you want to blame it on sysadmins, but I think, too, it's Oracle. People just don't trust Oracle anymore. And B, it's the atrocious right. security issues. That Now, I'm not saying that – now, what I'm saying is that just has generated bad PR. So that's the thing, though, right? The, certainly using Java in the web browser is a bad idea, right? And I don't think we've ever recommended that. And that's where almost all the security issues have come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I'm seeing is this shallow look, oh, Java's insecure. Yeah. So, so let's rewrite our entire Java EE server API here. It's not realistic, right? And Java, for many reasons, is a great language for a small company to use because, frankly, if you can only afford to hire kids out of college and you're trying to get them to do anything but Java, well, you're paying them to do nothing for a couple months. Right, and, and there there are some business realities to Java, um, and when, and, when, and I've replied to a few people with that, and they said, "Well, that's the school's fault." Well, you know, write the dean of your local university. Frankly, if I'm just interacting with an API and I need to write an API and it just needs to return JSON, who cares if that API returns it via PHP, Java, Rails, right. or Python? Right? Yeah. I mean, on some level, the domain space that we're generally working in, this stuff doesn't matter, right? Uh, in particular, a lot of folks have been writing in about PHP or Rails instead of Java, or I'm sorry, Ruby. Uh, the last report that was written done on this comparing Ruby to Java, Java was seven times faster than Ruby, right? So there's, there's really no reason not to be using Java these days in, in that space, right? Uh, again, the, they're talking about the security issues in the chat room. They are in-browser security issues. Mm-hmm. You're, talking know, ba- you're talking back-end. I'm talking back-end, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, additionally, the JVM is, is one of the stronger platforms around today, right? Um, so even if you're not using Java the language, you're likely using, in quote, Java the platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you're using .NET. Mm-hmm. Which, okay, or you're using something, but... You know, what I'm looking for is a platform that's mature, stable, has a reasonable, reasonably classical inheritance style, right? 
that is something that's taught in schools and that is, um, you know, you know friend, what, what was the old thing? No one ever got fired for buying IBM. Well, no one right. really gets fired for deploying Java. Well, that was what I was going to ask you is, is that where the sensitivity on this is coming from is, are you, have you had a client yet that's looked at you and like cocked their head and went, huh? When you suggested Java for something? No, actually. Okay. okay well then, so but it hasn't hit the, the marketplace yeah, yet. They have done that for rails, right? Um, and, and I think there's a conflict between, you know, I'm a nerd, we're all nerds here. We like to use the newest and sexiest thing, but if it's not ready for prime time, it can be a little risky. Get it out of here. I mean, we, uh, I was working on something, it's proof of concept in Flask, uh, Flask uh, Python. We ended up having to stop and redo it in Java because it's not 1.0, it's just not mature enough to deploy. And I, I think that's the difference between what a lot of our listeners, and, and I love our listeners, but I think a lot of them who feel very passionately against Java and some of the more, um, shall we say, mature stacks are coming at it from a very hobbyist perspective, right? Um, you know, when you're writing your passion project, no one's going to sue you <laughs> because you deployed something when they upgraded it to the 1.0 release version. It broke. I write my passion projects in Bash, sir. There you go. <laughs> I mean, I what I'm trying to say there lightly is, you know, for that kind of for a passion project, you just there's no right in judging. That's just what somebody wants to make for themselves. You can't really, right. yeah, you know, you have no right to judge in that case. Um, and I think I can totally see your point from a server side. I've always found Java on the server to maybe sometimes be a little, um, uh, like every now and then it has to be smacked down. I've had like, you know, um, monitoring applications that are based on Java that can sometimes go crazy with the CPU. Um, so there's been some aspects from a server side. I've been like, what a pain in the butt. But for the most part, for me, Java, when if somebody has said to me, when I'll ask them when we're talking about deploying this massive application and I'll say, well, what's the backend require? And they say, well, you need Java. I, usually my reaction to that is, oh, phew. Because that, for me, is a lot easier, right? Because right. especially on, on, on different versions of Linux, you, if you can have things that require different versions of libraries, whereas Java can kind of be this great neutralizer and uh, makes it more portable, too. And so for the back end, I've actually had great experience with Java, uh, with a few exceptions. I am totally um, on the camp, though, where I don't just have a problem with Java on the front end because of security issues. I've never met a Java application on the front end that I've really enjoyed. Uh, maybe there's been a few that I didn't realize were Java, but most of the time people say, oh, you can't even tell it's Java. I can tell. Right. Um, with the so, exception so, maybe so, Minecraft. So, so I've, <laughs> right. With the exception of Minecraft, I've never advocated using Java on the front end, right? Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. Um, I just wanted to make the like, make that clear to the audience because they have been writing in and they've kind of, you know, I, I don't know if, I just feel like, yeah, I feel like what you're responding to is people hear Java and then they see blood in the water. Well, I think it's a marketing problem. And I also think Oracle hasn't made many friends is that a safe assumption yeah 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 that is totally true i don't believe you uh, all right mr dominic will you have any thoughts on that java topic no i think that's it well that that does leave the floor open for uh your considerations on the java topic perhaps perhaps you have a good reason why java perhaps you have a case not to use java on the back end well if you do i'd like to hear a good articulated reason as to why and what you would use instead you can do that by going to jupiterbroadcasting.com and popping that contact link. Don't forget, we also want to hear about your adventures with drinking and coding. We need a good, like, a, like not drinking and driving. That's bad in connotations. Um, coding and 
coding while drinking? Something like that. Let us know what happens. I'd be curious to find out. All right, Mr. Dominic, well, uh, where do you want to send people throughout the week? Maybe over at your website, mdominuku.com or dominuku.com. I'll have a link in the show notes or your Twitter pages. Also, you can follow Mike's company, Fingertip Tech, on the Twitters. And uh, you can also watch us live over at jblive.tv on a Monday at 9 a.m. noon Eastern. Also, jblive.info for the audio edition. Then you can join us in our chat room, help suggest titles. Chat room, you got to get suggesting. And then we vote them at the end of the episode. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. See you right back here next Monday.